Hopebound Church, would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to get ready to sing the praises of our God. Are you ready? Come on. Let me see your hands.
that you're here. Could you just turn to the person next to you, tell them hello, tell them we're glad to see you in church today. You guys can be seated. Let's check out the screens to see what's happening in church life. Hi, I'm Pastor Ken. I'm Pastor Dan, and we want to invite you to join us this Thursday, May 4th, for some very special events surrounding the National Day of Prayer. You'll find National Day of Prayer events all around the Great Lakes Bay region in your community, at Township Halls, at Fire Halls, Bay City, Birch Run, Saginaw City, Saginaw Township, Frankenmuth. Uh, chances are there's a gathering at lunchtime, 12 to 1, uh, close to where you live, and we want to encourage you to be a part. Dan and I will be part of the gathering at the Saginaw Township Hall. That's right, Ken. And then that night, 7 to 9 p.m., May 4th, down at the Dow Event Center, we'll be joining hundreds of other Christians from a diverse group of Saginaw area churches to pray for our community and for God to work mightily in Saginaw and the Great Lakes Bay region. We believe in the power of prayer. We do, and we would love for you to join us. See you there. All right, what a start to this morning. I love the energy, the clapping, the singing as we're here to give uh, our great God the praise that he deserves. Uh, I'm Pastor Adam. I lead outreach ministries here at Hopevale. And uh, just on behalf of Hopevale, just want to extend our welcome to you. Thank you so much for being here today for this service. We think God has a lot of great things in store for us in this gathering. Uh, I don't know about you, but I saw that video and I'm like, May 4th, that's a long way away, right? No, that's this week. Like, tomorrow is May 1st. I don't know if that snuck up on anybody else, but it definitely snuck up on me. Uh, so if you are available this Thursday night, we'd love to see you out at the Dow Event Center at 7 o'clock. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of other things going on here at Hopevale. Just encourage you to pick up a bulletin, read through that to get a sense of some other things that are happening. Uh, so again, we're very glad that you're here this morning. I want to go ahead and invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare to give of our tithes and offerings. And so as we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today and just the opportunity that we have to uh, be in this place and worship you freely. God, you deserve uh, our praise and worship for who you are, for all the things that you have done uh, for us. And God, we just thank you for that. And Lord, as we prepare to give, we just, we just come before you recognizing that uh, the things that you have entrusted to us in the first place uh, were yours to begin with. And so, God, with that heart and that attitude, we just want to give back a portion to you so that uh, your work here on this earth can go forward, that the gospel message that you have given us, the work that Christ has done in our lives on our behalf would be able to be shared not only in this region but around the world as well. God, that's our heart, that's our desire for what uh, we want to see happen uh, with you uh, receiving all the praise and the glory for it. And so, God, we give today just knowing and trusting that you're going to take uh, and use these gifts to expand your kingdom. And, God, we are excited about that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Adam. Hi, gang. My name is Billy. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you guys are here for worship today to carve out time to make time for God in your day and in your week. So you're, up, you're in for a really good day. Thanks for being here. Well, uh, we're going to continue in worship as you give. We're going to do a two-song set. The second song is a new one for Hopevale, but if you listen to Christian radio or, or watch uh, Christian music online or anything like that, uh, it's a song that everybody and their brother's been singing. It's called What a Beautiful Name. It's a great song. Uh, you'll, yeah, got some blues for it. It's a great song to uh, sing to the Lord and, uh, and uh, spend time worshiping Him. So just remain seated while we sing this first song, and we'll get you up in a little bit after the offering is 
is uh, collected by the ushers. But before we do that, you know, um, uh, you guys have seen uh, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Fletcher leading us in worship a few times already. I want to tell you something kind of special about Stephanie. She went to a, um, a, a school called Hillsong College, and Hillsong Church in, in uh, Australia is a really big, huge church, one of the biggest churches in the world, and they've got campuses even all over the world, campus in New York City and all over the place. And uh, she went to their college, and she was like one of like two or three students in the college who was like called up to main stage to go and lead worship at the at the main church and things like that. So she's kind of she's kind of a big deal. I mean, we don't want to brag or anything, but <laughs> let the head shrink back down, Stephanie. Okay. <laughs> no, she's just uh, a doll, and we just it's great having her here. And, um, and leading us in worship today. And it's just a really special thing. All of our worship leaders and everybody here on their band, it's, it's a really special thing, but kind of a special thing. You know, somebody goes to school for two years to be a worship leader and learn how to do those things. And it's pretty special to have Stephanie today. Let's uh, make Stephanie feel welcome again. Yeah. Let's go, guys. Let's continue in worship together.
Awesome. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. It's a great job, worship team. Uh, just, man, what an incredible uh, song, incredible time to just give God the praise that he deserves and to just enter us into this time of really making Jesus central right now. And once a month as a church family, we take time to, uh, to remember the death of Jesus on the cross by taking communion together. And as we, as we focus in on Jesus' death, I just very simply want to remind us about how Jesus chose to die on the cross for our sins. That was a choice that he made. And I know sometimes it might be easy for us when we think of Jesus and what he did. Like we know the end of the story and we know that it all turned out great and Jesus was victorious over sin and death. But when we walk through a little bit of what he went through in those moments, there, was a, there were times where he made an intentional choice to face death the way that he did. And you know, in, in his divinity, that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to face death for our sins. But in his humanity, that was an extremely scary proposition to face. And I think that that never played out in a more prominent way than in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, it was, it was the final few days of Jesus' life on this earth, and he was preparing himself for what he faced, you know, to go on trial for something that, that he was innocent of, to be abandoned by his closest followers, to be murdered on the cross, to go through the beatings, the crucifixion on the cross, and ultimately death. In his humanity, that was not something that he looked forward to. And in the garden, he took time away to pray to his heavenly father and just say, God, if there is any way possible for this cup to be taken from me, can we do that? Can we make that happen? If there is any other way to accomplish victory over sin and death, let's do that. But then he said, but God, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus made that choice in that moment to express how he was feeling, but then to say, God, I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to follow you in this most difficult thing, impossibly difficult thing that he had to face. And so Jesus was obedient to death on the cross. And also in the garden, even just a few minutes later, you, know, you kind of get a sense of what was going through Jesus' mind because uh, you know, when Peter pulled out the sword to try to protect Jesus from what he had to face, Jesus even said, hey, P Peter, do you not realize that if I wanted to get out of this situation, I could call tens of thousands of angels to come to my rescue? Like, I don't need you, Peter. I could handle this on my own. But he didn't do that. So once again, Jesus made an intentional choice to go to death on the cross for our sin in our place. And so as we take time to remember Jesus' death on the cross this morning, that, that's what I want to keep in mind for us, that he made that intentional choice to do that. And that is why we remember it. That is why we give him the praise and the glory and the honor that he deserves for making that sacrifice on our behalf. So as we prepare to take the bread and the cup this morning, just a few instructions as we enter into that time. And first of all, you don't have to be a member of Hopevale Church to participate. And the only thing that we ask is that you are a Christian 
the way the Bible describes it, that you have come to a place of placing your faith, your trust, your hope in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And that in that you have, you love him and you have given your life over to him. You desire to follow him each and every day of your life. And I would just say if, if right now, in, in the, if you're being honest with yourself, if you, if you can't say that you identify with that description, then we would just ask that you would pass the bread and the cup by down the road. That you would not partake in something that has no personal significant meaning to you. We would just ask that you do that out of respect for what we are doing here. And any parents with, with kids in the room, kind of the same thing applies. We just trust uh, your discretion knowing if your son or daughter has entered into that place of faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And if they haven't done that, just help them pass the elements on by. You know, and I say all of that not to, to exclude anybody from participating because the reality is, is that Jesus' death on the cross was inherently inclusive. He did it so that everybody's sin who ever lived could be covered by his blood, that it would be atoned for by his sacrificial death on the cross for your sins in your place. And so because of that, we have to take a moment to extend that invitation to you to respond to what Jesus has done on the cross for you. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that before. Or maybe, hopefully, it's being presented in a way that begins to make a little bit of sense. You know, the reality is, is if you're out in the world and you're chasing after all of the things that the world has to offer and that the world tells you is important, you know, that you're the master of your own domain and that, you know, you are, um, you're independent and self-sufficient and all of those things, I would just encourage you to, to step back from that for a moment and recognize that in that pursuit, that pursuit is empty. And if you've pursued that long enough, I think that we've all come to a place of knowing that that pursuit is empty. And so what Jesus presents to us here gives us meaning. It gives us true life, true hope, true forgiveness, knowing that it's not something, you know, righteousness before God is not something that we can accomplish on our own. It's something that was only accomplished in what Jesus did on the cross for you. And so that invitation to you today is to respond to that, to place your faith and trust in Christ for what he did on the cross for you. And in a moment, we're going to pray. And if, if today's the first time that you're recognizing that you, know, you are a sinner and there's nothing that you can do about that apart from what Jesus has done for you, we want to take a moment to just give you an opportunity to respond to tell Jesus that you're sorry for the sin in your life and that you recognize him as your one and only Savior who takes away that sin from you so that you can stand before your heavenly Father in right relationship with him in forgiveness of your sins. So I want to go ahead and invite the ushers to come forward and we are going to uh, pray as we prepare to take the bread. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the work that you have done on the cross for us. God, that you chose to enter into the pain and the suffering in your physical body. But God, even more than that, we think about the separation from your heavenly Father that you went through on the cross. And I believe that that was even more significant 
than the physical pain that you endured. God, you separated yourself from your heavenly Father so that we would not have to ever face the prospect of being separated from you for eternity. So God, as we prepare to take the bread, we do it keeping that in mind, just recognizing what you have done for us, the pain and the suffering that you went through, that your broken body accomplishes for us something that we could not do on our own. And Lord, for anybody in the room today who who desires to respond to that, maybe for the first time today, we just give them that moment to, to confess their sins to you, to recognize that they need to admit that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and that you are that Savior, God, and that they would ask you into their lives to cover the sin that each and every one of us has. And Lord, for those of us who are partaking today, just, uh, Lord, as we uh, do take the bread as the, the plates are passed, that we would just take these moments to evaluate our own lives, to take a moment to, um, to just evaluate if there is any sin in our lives that we need to confess to you, if there are any areas of our lives that we need to give over to you in obedience so that you might work in us so that we could become more like you, our Savior. God, thank you for your broken body on the cross. Uh, we come to this moment just incredibly humble, humbly and grateful for what you have done for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room celebrating the Passover meal, which was a meal that had Old, Te- Old Testament significance. And in that moment, as he shared that meal with his followers, uh, he was infusing it with new meaning. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you again for your broken body. And also as part of that meal, you, you took and passed the cup, which signified the blood that you were going to shed on the cross, the atoning blood that pays for, that covers our sin. So God, we thank you for what you have done on the cross. We thank you for your willingness to go there, for the physical death of your body, the shedding of your blood, and the covering over of our sin. We are eternally grateful to you for that, Lord. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, your word says that whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, that we are proclaiming your death until you come again. And so, God, that is exactly what we have done. We remember, we recognize, we celebrate what you have done for us, and we proclaim your goodness to us until you come again. Lord, we do long for that day, but until that day, you have given us a mission. You have given us work to do here on this earth. So God, we just want to give ourselves to you in obedience to that work, both individually what you have to work in our lives and then corporately as your church to spread the good news of this gospel message to the entire world so that everybody might have an opportunity to respond to what you have done. 
And God, part of that is the message this morning. And so we pray for Pastor Dan as he comes and shares from your word. May you just open our hearts and our minds to your truth and what you are calling us to as we walk through this world. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. It's been a great morning of worship, um, wonderful music, special time of communion, and it's just great, isn't it, to be able to gather in here together as a church family to remember Jesus' death and resurrection through communion, right? And I'm just, you know, personally as a pastor, I'm just thankful, right, that I get to share these meaningful God moments with you, and we get to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a good feeling, isn't it? It's a comforting feeling, but also if we're not careful, it can turn into a dangerous feeling. It can. See, in the Christian life, there is a very fine line between comforting and comfortable, right? Comforting and comfortable. Now, there's no question in my mind that the Holy Spirit uses a service like today's to bring deep ministry to weak and weary and hurting hearts, right? Maybe that's happened to you today where the love of God, where the joy of the Lord is filling you up and bringing comfort to your soul, right? That happens in this place every single week, and God gets all the credit for it, right? It's an amazing thing to see, and even more importantly, it's an amazing thing to experience, right? But comforting is not the same as comfortable. And there are a few things as hazardous to our spiritual health as a comfortable church. See, a comfortable church is a satisfied church. A comfortable church is a settled church. A comfortable church is just a few steps away of becoming a selfish church. A selfish church where everyone who attends is preoccupied with the sole question, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Now, here's the thing. I get how it happens. I really do. I mean, so often life and people and circumstances out there rough us up. They beat us down all throughout the week. And yet we come in here, right? And we have these incredible experiences Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Just two weeks ago, Easter, Right, Monday, Thursday. Last week, baptisms and an extended time of music. Today, communion, powerful worship. And you think to yourself, this is so good, right? This is so sweet. I just want it to last forever. Which, by the way, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but in wanting it to last forever, we can then jump to the conclusion that to keep things going, we better make sure we keep everything the same, right? Everything the same, right? Keep the services the same. Keep the messages the same. Keep the music the same. Keep my seat the same, right? Yeah. Why? Because it makes us feel comfortable. But when that kind of attitude creeps into the church, that's when the trouble can begin. Satisfied, settled, selfish. We like the way things are. We like our group here, right? We like our people here. And if anyone else comes in from the outside, they might mess it all up. It's the danger of turning into a comfortable church. So today I want to talk about that with you. I want to talk about the kind of church God wants us to be. And to do that, I want to share a story from the Bible with you. It's a story that to me is both incredibly relatable, but also very personal. It's very personal and hauntingly so, if we have the guts to be honest enough 
with ourselves. So we're going to read through that story together. I'll make a few comments along the way. And then as we wrap up, I'll make a couple final connections for us as a church in the end. The passage we're going to look at today is found in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. You're welcome to join there with me, right, in in your Bible if you brought one, or on your smartphone with our uh, Bible app or our own Hopewell app, Acts chapter 10. Now, for some context, the book of Acts in the New Testament is the story of the beginning of the Christian church back in the first century. It's following the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, we read of this pivotal historical moment called Pentecost in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit comes upon his disciples who are now referred to as apostles, and they then in turn go and share the good news of Jesus with others. Now, one of the key leaders in this early church movement was the apostle Peter. Peter, if you've been with us these last several weeks, this is the same Peter that Pastor Adam talked about during the Crossroads series. It's also the same Peter we saw on Easter Sunday who runs to the empty tomb when he hears that Jesus isn't there and then later is actually able to see the resurrected Lord right there in front of him in the flesh. Powerful stuff. And so when you get to the book of Acts, you see Peter receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You also see him then preach numerous times about Jesus and his resurrection, about how Jesus is the promised Messiah, how there is salvation for all who believe in his name. And as you read through these first few chapters in the book of Acts, this outspoken, powerful preaching, miracle-performing Peter that you read about is so different than the one who denies Jesus three times right before the cross. Peter's transformation is unbelievable, which, by the way, is all because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who changed Peter's life, and he is also the same Holy Spirit who lives in you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he wants to do the same kind of transformational work in your life as he did with Peter, filling your heart with God's supernatural love, breaking the chains of temptation and addiction in your life, and growing you into a much better and godlier version of yourself than you've ever been before. That's what the Holy Spirit did for Peter, and it's what he also wants to do in the lives of normal people like you and me. So you get this new and improved Peter in the book of Acts. But when you come to Acts chapter 10, you realize that while Peter has grown spiritually, he has not arrived spiritually. He's grown spiritually, but he's not yet arrived. No, there is still more work that God needs to do in his life. See, Peter, like we talked about in the beginning, has a problem. He's got a comfort zone problem. He does, and if that doesn't change, then Peter's not going to be the person that God wants him to become. Now, Peter needs to get out of his comfort zone, and with that in mind, let's go ahead and start reading Acts chapter 10. Now, let me tell you up front, we're going to read through a lot of verses together, but it's really going to help us in the end to grasp not only what God has for Peter, but also what he intends for us. So here we go, Acts chapter 10. Verse 1 says this, that at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. 
Cornelius in the city of Caesarea. And I got to tell you that we had the opportunity to visit this city, Caesarea, on our recent trip to Israel. And it is an incredible, awesome sight to see. See, Caesarea sits right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and so you've got these great views of this beautiful blue water. It's no wonder, then, that King Herod the Great essentially built a Roman city there from scratch right around the time of the first century, right at this location. And yeah, that's the same King Herod who tried to trick the three wise men so that he could kill Jesus after his birth, right? And so when you visit Caesarea, you see ruins of a vast Roman aqueduct, this glorious amphitheater, remnants of the personal palace of Herod the Great. Everything about Caesarea has fingerprints of Rome all over it, even the gelato, which was phenomenal, right? Yeah, save the best for last on that one, right? So it makes sense then that a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius would live in this Roman city of Caesarea. Now, as a centurion... Cornelius was a pretty important person. He was a commander of a hundred highly trained Roman soldiers. Think about that, right? Centurion, century, 100, right? Hundred Roman soldiers. So Cornelius himself was very important, and he likely then also came from Rome, meaning he wouldn't have had the Jewish background that Peter did. No, he would have grown up in a culture very different, one that would have worshipped many gods, including the emperor, right? Very different than Peter. And who they are, their backgrounds, everything. This is Cornelius. And yet as we read here, he is different than his Roman peers. Back to verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly, right? So, you know, here is Cornelius. He is doing the best he knew how to honor and worship the one true God. He's, he's giving, he's helping people in need, he's praying. So he's not just spiritually searching, he's spiritually striving. And that's a good thing. His heart is in the right place, but there still is so much more about the Lord God that he needs to know. Verse 3. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly, I, I love how Luke puts that in there, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa, that's another city, to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. That's our same Peter, right? Peter the Apostle. Bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea, right? Go get Simon Peter, right? He's in Joppa, who, by the way, is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner, not Danny the Tanner. His house was full, right? (laughs) Come on! (sighs) Verse 7. Well, the angel spoke to him, had gone. Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa, all right? Joppa is this coastal city about 30 miles south of Caesarea. But unlike Caesarea, which has this Roman flavor, Joppa has a Jewish flavor. That's why Peter is there, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Right? Food dreams when you're hungry. You've had them, right? I know I have. But this one's a little different, isn't it? Verse 14, right? How does Peter respond to this dream? Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never, ever, ever in my entire life eaten anything that is impure or unclean. Right? So yes, Peter's now a Christian, but he's also always been a devout Jew, and at this point in his life, he is still committed to following everything he knows from the Old Testament, including all the do's and don'ts of the dietary laws, right? Specified animals like pigs, right? Reptiles, birds were just not kosher for him to eat. And so Peter, in this dream, this voice is telling him to disobey everything he's known. And so you can see why it's so troubling to him. You can see why Peter is so indignant. Actually, his response here looks a lot like the time when Jesus told Peter and his disciples, you're going to fall away on account of me. And what does Peter do? He vigorously denies it. Surely not, Lord, he said back then. It's what he says here again. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This voice from heaven is communicating to Peter that something is changing. Verse 15, this happened three times, right? And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So what is it about Peter and three times, right? Three denials, three restoration comments from Jesus in John 21, and now this. Coincidence? I don't think so. Well, the, the sheet with all this unclean food is taken back to heaven. And the story goes on to tell us that as Peter's trying to process this incredible heavenly vision, the, the men that Cornelius sent, they show up and they ask to meet with Peter. Verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them, right? So the Holy Spirit speaks through this dream, but now Peter's awake. And the Spirit says, go, meet with these men. So Peter meets with them. They proceed then to tell Cornelius' story, how an angel commanded Cornelius to bring Peter back to his house to listen to everything that Peter had to say to them. By this point, Peter's got to be blown away, don't you think? He has this threefold heavenly dream of his own. He has this affirmation from the Holy Spirit to go meet with these men. And then these men tell the story of Cornelius having his own angelic visitation. Peter's got to know at this point that God is up to something. So Peter welcomes the men into their house. They stay the night. The next day, they all head back to Caesarea. They're accompanied by some of Peter's Christian friends from Joppa. They arrive at Cornelius' house the following day, where Cornelius has already gathered extended family, Friends, servants, I mean, everyone's there in anticipation of Peter's arrival. Peter walks in. He's overwhelmed by the large number of people gathered there. So here's what happens, verse 28. He says to them, like he, he sees this crowd of, of people. He's just coming off this heavenly vision. And he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Now think about this. This is how he starts off, you know, meeting strangers, right? It's like him saying, you know I'm not supposed to be here, right? I mean, there's my people and there's your people. 
And we don't mix. As a matter of fact, I have always viewed your type as impure and unclean. Kind of second class. Not a great way to start him. It's like us showing up at some kind of seedy establishment or wild party. People are getting hammered, hooking up, and we say, you know, I normally don't associate with people like you, right? It's not the way you get off on a good foot, right? I mean, that's what Peter says, right? But, he goes on, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Hold on to that. We'll get back to that. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Sir Cornelius recounts the experience of his own supernatural vision, how he needed to send for and listen to a man named Peter, who's 30 miles away in Joppa. Cornelius concludes with these words, verse 33, so I sent for you immediately. It was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This is a captive audience, right? Cornelius, immediate family, extended family, close friends, household servant. They're all there. They're all eager to hear what Peter has to say. Verse 34. And Peter began to speak. I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Listen, if you're the kind of person who takes notes during a message, who writes in your Bible, who underlines verses, I want you to do that right here. Verse 34, verse 35. Star, circle, underline, highlight, whatever. Because this passage right here is Peter's aha moment. It's his awakening. All that the Holy Spirit that was trying to tell Peter is now coming alive for him in real time. Here he is. He is in Cornelius' house, and he is looking directly into the eyes of these Gentile men and women, these boys and girls that he used to always classify as impure, as unclean, and he now realizes what? That they too are created in the image of God that they too are highly valued by him, that they too are loved by the creator of this universe. I now realize, Peter said, and quite frankly, I think we need a word a lot stronger than I now realize, right? This is a wake-up call, a pivotal moment, a turning point, a revelation, whatever it is, Peter's world view, his view on life, his view of people has all changed. It's been enlarged. So it's no longer us versus them, my people and those people, my type and that type. I now realize how true it is, Peter says, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. See, before this moment, Peter knew that in his head, right? I'm sure he did, that God is a God who does not play favorites. But now as he's talking to these real, live, flesh-and-blood people, It's not just in his head, it's gripping his heart, it's changing his life. And it's drawing him. It's drawing him out of his comfort zone. Where he used to what? He used to label people. He used to exclude people. Certain kinds of people. Impure. Unclean. God's now all blown that up in this very moment in the house of Cornelius in the city of Caesarea. Now, if you've got a pulse, 
if you're willing to take a moment and turn the mirror on yourself, then this has got to make you squirm a little bit, because I know it does for me. Because let's be honest, one way or another, we're all labelers too. We are, we're all excluders. We look at certain types of people and think about them differently. Now, how we do that, why we do that, to whom we do that, it's going to vary among us. For some of us, it's about race. For some of us, it's about money and how much or how little they appear to have. For some of us, it might be education, right, the way people talk. For some of us, it's attractiveness or hygiene or weight or other physical features. For some of us, it's lifestyle, it's sexuality. For some of us, it's past mistakes, bad reputation. And that's just the start. One way or another, I think all of us have these dividing lines in our hearts of how we view certain types of people. And not that we'd admit it, but just like Peter, they too strike us as impure, unclean. And to be around them or heaven forbid to watch them walk through the doors of my church certainly puts us out of our comfort zone. Now when you say it like that out loud, it sounds pretty ugly. And it is. Just like Peter, I think a lot of us know in our heads that God does not play favorites, that God doesn't draw lines that we shouldn't either. We know that up here, but what does it take to get it in here and to work it out here? Sheer willpower on our own behalf doesn't do that, right? No, just like Peter, it's going to take a massive work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to change our lives, to grow our love, and to lead us to the same place he led Peter. I now realize, light bulb moment, aha moment, that because of Jesus, God accepts everyone who genuinely seeks after him. Now that last part, you know, everyone who genuinely seeks after him, is important to understand as well, because not everyone's a Cornelius. At least not right now. Not everyone at this point in their life wants to know and worship God. So this isn't about people around you who are presently hard-hearted and spiritually resistant. No, this is about the person in your life who, even though they don't fit your category, they're nevertheless trying to pursue God the best they know how. And that's why we need our own aha moments like Peter had, right? That we look at them, we see how they're searching, how they're striving, and we go, I now realize, right? That it is true that God does not show favoritism. That God is not an excluder. But he accepts from every walk of life those who fear him, those who do what's right. No more walls, no more barriers, no more us versus them. And so after Peter opens with this brutally honest confession, which I think probably is more for him than for Cornelius, he launches into the story of Jesus about Jesus' life, how Jesus' life connects with the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, his ministry, his miracles, his message of peace, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Peter goes on to tell Cornelius, I'm actually an eyewitness. I saw the resurrected Christ right before me in the flesh. And how that then motivated him and some of his friends, led by God to spread the message of God's great love through Jesus. And so then after telling Cornelius and everyone else who's assembled there about this wonderful message, he concludes with this, verse 43. All the prophets, all the Bible, all the scriptures testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
his beautiful name, his powerful name, his wonderful name. Everyone. It doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your present, doesn't matter your personality, your position, your prestige, your power, your possessions. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. This is our message. This is why we're here. As a matter of fact, this is why you're here. Saying just about everyone in this room is really more like Cornelius than we are like Peter. Why? Because we come from non-Jewish backgrounds. We too, religiously speaking, would have been classified under the old covenant as impure and unclean. We would have been those outsiders, but Jesus changes it all. His morally perfect life on this earth, his sacrificial death on the cross, his victorious resurrection from the grave. Jesus opens the way for God's acceptance for all of us, right? Why? Because everyone, not an exclusive club, not a select few, everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Well, Peter, after he's done preaching, we read that the Holy Spirit came upon all who had heard and received his message. And actually spoke in tongues as a way to confirm to Peter and the friends from Joppa who had experienced Pentecost that this, that this is the same thing, that, that Cornelius, that everyone who responded to the message, all these Gentiles were also part of God's family now, right? Just like they were. Again, no walls, no barriers, no favoritism, no distinction, but acceptance for everyone who believes in Jesus. What an incredible story, and even more importantly, what incredible news that still rings true today, that God's great love through the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just for some people. No, it's for everyone. Everyone. And so when you and I think about how mind-blowing, how game-changing this is, it leads us to a couple very crucial aha moments of our own. Moments that we have to face, moments where we have to wrestle with how profound this is. The first is this, that because of Jesus, God's love is for you. God's love is for you. I want everyone in here to know that today, that God's love is for you. See, every Sunday there are some who come in here, they sing these songs of worship, they hear these messages of hope, but they still feel like an outsider, right? They think to themselves, these songs, these messages, they're, they're not for me. They're not talking about me. Why? Because my life is a mess. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt a lot of people. I've done a lot of shameful things. When I look in the mirror, I am unpure. When I look in the mirror, I am unclean. And I can't imagine that God would love someone like me. Every week, there's someone sitting in the same seats you are thinking that, Right? Listen, I don't know your story. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I do know this, that because of Jesus, God's love and acceptance are right there waiting for you to experience. Yes, you. Because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, Jesus is able, what? To purify your impurities. He's able to cleanse your uncleanliness, and he'll do so for you if you'll just call out to him. Because what does Peter say? Some people know everyone. Everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone, and that includes you, you are part of the everyone. Don't believe the lies of Satan, that you're beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. 
No, God's love is big enough. Jesus' cross is strong enough to rescue and to redeem all of us. What a powerful message. So for some of you, let today be your aha moment with God, right? Maybe you've heard some of this before. Maybe it's up here. But you go, God, I now realize. I now realize that your love is for me. It's for me. So I'm going to call upon you to be my Savior, to forgive my sins, to receive your acceptance and be allowed into a forever relationship with you. That because of Jesus, God's love is for you. Receive it. Own it today. It's right there waiting for you. So one of the aha moments we all have to wrestle with, the other is this, that because of Jesus, God's love is for them. Them. I put them in quotation marks because I don't know who that them is for you, but like I mentioned earlier, we all have a them, don't we? We all have a them. We all draw our lines in our hearts. We make these distinctions about certain types of people. There's us and there's them. It's ugly, it's humbling to admit, but it is in there. And if we're ever going to be the kind of people, we're ever going to be the kind of church that's comforting, not comfortable, then we've got to be honest about that. So what? So that we can allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, just like he did with Peter. Two weeks ago, Easter Sunday, we had over 4,000 adults, teens, and children in our church building that day. Over 4,000. We have never seen an Easter like that before. It was incredible, and if you were here, you know it was incredible, but if you were here, you also know it was very uncomfortable. The parking lot was packed. The lobby was jammed. The auditorium was crowded. Some of you even had to engage with the service in the venue, right? Over 400 in those middle two services watching there. Very uncomfortable, incredibly inconvenient. And I know Easter is a unique Sunday, but it raises a very challenging question. What kind of church do we want to be, comforting or comfortable? See, my hope is that we'd be the kind of church that would let the Holy Spirit lead us out of our comfort zone, change our perspective on, on, on people so that others too, just like us, could encounter the comforting message of God's great love for them. And that would include the others who we formerly looked at as a them, right? The Corneliuses of the world, those who are spiritually seeking, spiritually striving, even if they are a lot different than us. It's an attitude check, and it's not just limited to one hour on Sunday. What about your community group? Comforting or comfortable? Student ministries on Sunday night, our circle of friends during the week, comforting or comfortable? If you're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to grow spiritually as a church, then we need the Holy Spirit to grip our hearts, truly believing that the love of God that we've celebrated today is for everyone. Everyone that because of Jesus... God's love is also for them. Well, in a moment, we'll close the service by responding with a song of worship. But first, as we close in prayer, I just want us to be honest. Humbly face up, right, to those two aha moments. God's love is for you. God's love is for them. What's God saying to you today? Don't worry about the person in front of you, behind you, next to you, right? 
the same Holy Spirit who spoke to Peter speaks to us today. Maybe not live, vivid dreams, maybe not an audible voice, but he speaks to our heart. And so for some of us, it's about experiencing God's great love for the very first time. For others of us, it's about expressing God's great love in a whole new way. For all of us, we need the Lord to show us, to lead us, to change us, to guide us, to be the kind of people, to be the kind of church he wants us to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we read a story like this, and your spirit brings it alive. And maybe we don't live in that town, maybe we don't live in that era, maybe we don't speak that language, maybe we don't have those divisions, but we have our own stories. We have our own people around us. And God, while that's different, the message is the same. A message that welcomes everyone to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins through his name. God, I pray for those who, who need, who are, who have had today their own aha moment with you. God, I now realize that you accept everyone from all walks of life, including me, and that you would show them your great love and make it come alive by your Holy Spirit in their hearts. And then for the rest of us, God, change how we look at others change our worldview, just like he did with Peter, right? That we wouldn't see us and them. We wouldn't see impure, unclean. But we'd see a message of hope for people created in the image of God, just like us. So let us be that kind of church. Let us be those kind of people. Channels of comfort that you want to use for your glory, for your honor, and to bring blessing to so many in our community. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if we're going to move from being excluders to includers, we certainly need uh, the Lord's help. So let's stand and pray that together.
That's the song of a comforting church. God, we need you. Now, always, and forever. Amen? Amen. So next week, we're kicking off a new series called Collision Course. We're going to talk about navigating through relational conflict because every now and then we might run into some difficult people. And so how do we do that in a God-honoring way? But as you go from here, may you go in humble and great dependence upon your loving God. God bless you.